Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. I'd like to ask that we would pray together and following that, we'll begin our conversation. Father, we thank you that you've made it possible for us to come together this morning. Your word tells us that not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, is the means by which we will build that which we have been assigned to build. Your word tells us that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. We want you to build this house and keep this city. Not just house the physical structure, though we certainly want our physical structures protected by you. But Father, the house is the life. The house is the business. The house is the marriage. The house is the family. The house is the ministry. And whatever our houses are, we ask you to be the chief builder and allow us to simply be your understudies. Let us work, as your word said, together with God. And then, Lord, keep the city, protect, guard what it is that you've assigned to us. Thank you that every resource that these professionals need in order for them to fulfill divine purpose let those resources come into their access. Let those resources be brought to them and bring them to those resources that there will be more than enough for the fulfillment of purpose. And we give you praise for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, while we were talking, while we were praying actually, I was reminded of uh, I was reminded of uh, that verse. I was reminded of that uh, passage from Zechariah chapter four that we mentioned in prayer. And God said to Zerubbabel, who is tasked with leading, he along with Joshua, the high priest, leading the rebuilding of the temple. And God speaks to Zerubbabel and to Joshua because they have lots of opportunities to become discouraged. And you know, whenever you're building something great, whenever you're building something great, there will be opportunities to become discouraged. And God said to Zerubbabel through the prophet Zechariah, this is my word to you. In fact, let me give you that verse. He says, this is my word to you. Uh, Zechariah chapter four. And uh, he says, six, verse six. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain 
and he should bring forth the headstone thereof, shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. In other words, God is encouraging Zerubbabel that even though it doesn't look as if you have the might or the power to bring to pass this major construction project, which is not just, you see, the building of this building is not just the building of a building. It's the building and the rebuilding of a people, a people that has been devastated, a people that has been exiled a people that has been displaced and disoriented concerning their national identity and even their divine identity. And so this temple that they're attempting to build is more than just a building. This temple is the center of their culture. You remember all the way up to the time of Jesus Christ, the temple was the center of Jewish culture. And even to this very day, uh, the the wall the wailing wall so-called is considered the central architectural structure and the temple mount of international jewish culture and so when zerubbabel is building and rebuilding this temple there are many opportunities for him to become discouraged and the main source of that discouragement is the enemy who does not want him to build something great, something that's going to impact the culture, impact the lives of people. Even so, we are all called of God to build something. I'm talking about all of us. I'm not talking about the preachers only or the supervisors only. Each individual under the sound of my voice, male, female, black, white, anywhere in the middle, uh, black, black, white, social class, any social class from, 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 from all the way upper to all the way lower, each of us is called to build something significant for God. And anything that we build that's significant for God ultimately has implication that's going to bless people. If it's earthly, it's going to bless people. Anything that we build for God in this earthly domain it is going to ultimately bless people and even gratify the individual who is the uh, instrument of the building. And so I'm saying to you, my dear friends, that the psalmist wrote in 127, except the Lord build the house, except the Lord build the business, except the Lord build the family, except the Lord build the marriage, except the Lord build the community, except the Lord build it, all of our efforts are futile. And so it is critical, entrepreneur, it is critical, again, business owner, supervisor, subordinate, supporter, Pastor, whatever our areas are, it is important that we embrace the exception. We want the Lord, without exception, to build our houses. We want the Lord, without exception, to, to keep the city. Make my house exceptional by your presence. Make what I'm building exceptional. Well, that's the major part of uh, of why we're here
one of the key things that uh, characterizes my, my, my purpose for sharing this with you, one of the key uh, aspects of it is that as we've been teaching here in, a, in, in some recent sessions, We've been teaching about the power of the soul. And when we say soul now, we're talking about the psyche. The Greek term is psyche. Um, and we even talked about the fact that soul in scripture is used three different ways. And uh, maybe we'll touch on that now. But perspective how we see how we how we perceive how we process the world around us as we interact with it how we process our interactions with other people how we process our sense of identity our sense of origin our sense of purpose our sense of destiny how we set that, how we process that has everything to do with how successful we are with building these houses and keeping these cities, as we stated, you know, using that scripture about the uh, keeping of the uh, house or building the house, keeping the city, our business, our family, our marriage, all of that perspective has everything to do with it. And when I say see now, and you're right, uh, Brother Lee, that's exactly how we define it. Perspective, per is through, spec means to see. He, we're not just talking about sight of the eye. We're talking about thought. We're talking about sight of the mind. I remember the late, great Dr. Miles Monroe made this statement. He said that Sight is the enemy of vision. Sight is the enemy of vision. That's what Dr. Miles Monroe stated. Sight is the enemy of vision. Now, Dr. Monroe is a sage. He's deceased, but he's still a sage. He's a magi. He's a wise man. Okay. And, and wise men, particularly gifted wise men and women, tend to speak in parables. Like, excuse me, they do speak in parables, but tend to speak in proverbs. Wise men and women tend to speak in proverbs. And you must understand that proverbs are pithy, P-I-T-H-Y, concise statements that are packages of truth. Also, proverbs are observations of trends and tendencies. Observations of trends and tendencies. Observations and even projections of trends and tendencies. That's what proverbs are. And one of the reasons why that's important when you think about a proverb is because when you 
read a proverb from God's word, it needs to be understood from a literary perspective as well as from a spiritual perspective. And when you hear a proverb that is not necessarily directly from God's word, but it's based on God's word, you really need to understand the literary or the rhetorical element or elements of a proverb along with the spiritual implications. Here's, here's what I mean when I say that. If you take every proverb at face value and take its literal interpretation as the primary interpretation, you can end up in trouble. For example, what we just gave, Dr. Monroe said that sight is the enemy of vision. All right, he's being concise. He's being terse. He's being short. If it was stated fully, it would be stated something like this. Many times in the human experience, what we see with our eyes and how we interpret what we see with our eyes can hinder the progress of what we're carrying in our hearts and in our minds. You see how long it took to say that? But, but that's actually what he means. He means that very often, very often in the human experience, what we see through our eyes and basically what we experience sensorially what we experience in the sensory world based on how we interpret what we experience can become a hindrance, can become a blockade to the fulfillment of what we're carrying in our hearts and in our minds. That's, that's what he's saying. What he is not saying is that having good eyesight is antithetical to having a strong vision from God. See, if you take it that way, then you're going to pray that God will make you uh, nearsighted, farsighted, uh, give you an astigmatism or something. Do you understand? That's not what he's saying. So whenever you read a proverb, you've got to understand, or whenever you hear a proverb, make sure that you understand it. If it's written literarily, if it's not written, at least spoken rhetorically, as well as spiritual, if, if it is a spiritual uh, 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 proverb. Here's another. Jesus said, a prophet is without honor in his own country and in his own house. Jesus is stating a proverb. What did I say? Proverbs are observations regarding trends in the human experience and even projections of trends. And he is not giving you an ironclad rule that every prophet that there ever was was never honored by his family and people close to him. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying that the trend is, the tendency is among human beings, you will observe, that they tend not to have high honor 
for people whom God is using if those people are people that, with whom they've been familiar and proximate. He's talking about a human trend and a human tendency, but he's not making an ironclad rule because there are some people who are blood relatives of a man or woman who is mildly used of God and they honor them to the highest. So does that mean that the word is not so? No, no, no. You don't understand what the purpose of that word is. The purpose of that word is to equip you with regard to human behavior by informing you of the trends and the tendencies that come out of human nature. You see, a wise business person is always studying trends, always studying tendencies, always studying behavior in order to predict trends, tendencies, and behaviors, but also how to optimize a response to the trend or the tendency or the behavior. That's why uh, uh, test scores, I'm looking at Dr. Pinckney here, that's why test scores over weeks and over months and over years are so valuable to educators because those banks of data allow them to notice tendencies, trends, behaviors, and thereby prepare themselves to better address whatever the needs of those young people are. So when the, when the wise man or the wise woman speaks to you about trends and tendencies and behaviors in the human experience, they're not necessarily giving you uh, a prescription. You got to know when they are. Sometimes they are. But in some instances, what we're interpreting as a prescription is really just a description. It's not saying what ought to be. It's saying what typically is. It goes back and forth. And so again, it's important that um, we, we understand that. So I, I, I thought about explaining Proverbs a little when I thought about that particular proverb because it's absolutely true. I'm talking about this Miles Monroe statement that often, he didn't say often, he said vision is the enemy, or, or sight rather, sight is the enemy of vision. Sight is the enemy of vision, which what he meant was, what's coming at you in the natural can be overwhelming to the extent that you forget what's coming towards you according to God's word, according to God's will, according to destiny, according to purpose, supernatural. That makes sense? So, so I hope that you will retain that so that when you hear proverbial kinds of statements made, that you don't allow them to destabilize you. Make sure that you look deeper and, and, and see what is it that is really being said here. The statement of Dr. Monroe that often, he didn't say often, he said sight is in vision, but we know it's often. He's talking about perspective. Either you see through your senses, through your physical eyes, or you see through the lens of God's word, God's spirit, wisdom, discipline, all of that. And of course, we're, we're guided by our vision, whether it's physical vision or whether it is ideological vision. The Bible says the light of the body, we read it a few weeks ago, 
the light of the body is the eye. That is the guiding influence. Whatever is your guiding influence, that's your vision. Whatever's your guiding influence, that's your eye. And if your guiding influence is totally that which is sensory and sensual, then you'll be limited. But if your guiding influence is that that goes beyond what eyes have seen and what ears have heard and neither has it entered into the hearts of man, then even beginning in the most meager and obscure circumstances, you can arise to do a great thing. But it all is hinged upon how you see, how you perceive, how you process. And of course, since we're not talking about physical eyes, ultimately how we think. Because as I told you in that previous conversation, we don't see with our eyes. We see through our eyes, but we see with our mind. We see literally with our brains. The eye is simply the orifice. It is the portal through which the light comes. But the light comes, stimulates these nerves, and the nerves convey messages to the brain, and the brain interprets the stimulated optic nerve. And, and, and a picture is created, a consciousness is created that we call sight. All right. Where do we see? In the physical, we see in the brain, we see in the mind. And it's not just true about seeing objects, it's true about seeing life. It's about moving forward. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And the great emphasis that we've been making for the past several sessions of teaching has been that the housing of your perspective, the housing of how you see, the housing of how you think is in that dimension of your being called the soul. God created human beings in his image after his likeness. God is spirit. And so when he created humankind, he created us spirit. But it was also God's will that although as spirit we relate to him, he also gave us a domain, and that domain is the earth. And in order for us to be able to relate to the earth, not just relate to God, spirit to spirit, but to relate to earth, he formed mankind a body. And in Genesis 2 and 7, it is written, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. The word Adam is the word that's translated man. And the word Adama is the word that is translated ground. So God forms Adam from Adama. Why? Because even as it is true that in order to relate to God, the capital S spirit, we need to be lowercase s spirit. In order to relate to the ground, Adama, 
we must have a ground connection, a legal residence, a dom. God gives us a house of earth because our domain for natural activity is the earth. So we've got spirit relating to spirit. We've got earth relating to earth. And then God ties the two together in two and seven of Genesis, where he says, forms the man from the dust of the ground. Then it says he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. All right. He formed man from the dust of the ground. That's the body. He breathes into man's nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit. And the man becomes a living soul. So Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 that we are spirit, soul, and body. Those are the three aspects, the three dimensions of human existence. Spirit, soul, body. It sort of mirrors God, you know, after his likeness, who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one God. That makes sense? So, spirit interacts primarily with spirit. Body interacts primarily with physical, natural things. But the soul is the junction between spirit and body. The intuition of the spirit and the passion of the senses of the body tie into one another by means of the soul. The soul is where the thinking takes place, where the deliberation takes place, where the reasoning takes place, where the imagining takes place, the soul. It's where the creativity takes place. Uh, I made a few notes as I was preparing this morning, see if I can get over to them. Uh, some of this, of course, we, we talk about quite often, but it never, it's never exhausted we can never get to the bottom of it. Matter of fact, not only can we never get to the bottom of it, we're still scratching the surface of it. The reason why I'm talking about this soulish piece is because you as a professional, it is your soulish dimension that puts on display what you are carrying in your spirit. It is your soulish dimension that directs your behavior with your body. Our lives are guided in large measure, at least consciously, by our soulish dimension. Remember Proverbs 23 and 7 says, as he thinketh, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Uh, it would be the latter, Brother Cambridge. 
it would not be the subconscious. Subconscious would be spirit. But the operating system, that would probably probably be the better parallel. Notice this. In your spirit is where you commune and communicate with God. In your spirit is where all of the destiny and the purpose and the calling and that's where that resides in your spirit. We know it's going to be worked out ultimately in the body, right? But how does it get from spirit to body? The passageway from spirit to body for most things is going to be the soul. In the book of Romans, we talked about it again in, in the 715 session. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul is writing to believers. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, so they're believers, male and female. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. They're brethren. They're born again. That means they're spirit beings. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Now, there's that. There's another dimension, right? They're brethren, so they're already spirits that are in right relationship with God. I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you to present your bodies. There's a second dimension. Holy, acceptable unto God, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, verse two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The word transform could easily be taken. Now you're one thing, then you're something else. But that's not the Bible usage of the word transform. Transform in the Bible is our our well, it is the Greek from which we get our term metamorphosis. You remember in science class in grade school when they taught us how tadpoles become bullfrogs and how a chrysalis becomes a butterfly. Uh, we say a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. You understand that that process in biology is called metamorphosis. In theology, it's parallel. It basically means, it basically means the tadpole is not somebody else. The tadpole is the same person that was swimming in the water, now hopping on the ground. The butterfly is not somebody else. The butterfly is the same, quote, caterpillar that was crawling on the leaf, now flying in the wind. The tadpole became the bullfrog. The caterpillar became the butterfly. The bullfrog was already in the tadpole. 
The butterfly was in the caterpillar. When those organisms were born, they were born with all of the genetic structure and promise for them to exist in one phase and then to transition and then to exist in another phase. Even so, when you and I were number one, created by God, and then number two, recreated in salvation by God, all of the potential for us to, all of the potential for us to manifest God's glory, giftings, talents, skills, achievements, acquisitions, attainments, all of that was within, resident within us at, quote, birth, the, the, the creation, you understand, we're paralleling those animals. And yet, though those animals, though the tadpole had the bullfrog in him, he had to go through a processing. The caterpillar had the butterfly in him or her, but had to go through processing. Even so, in your spirit, in your innermost being, is the purpose and the plan and the destiny and the ability of God. That's in your spirit. But what is in your spirit has to be worked out until it manifests, until it is exhibited and is displayed in this natural world. Now let's go a little bit further. When God created you, he created you in the spirit realm, in the eternal realm. You, you are a spirit. Your being, have you ever heard homo sapiens referred to as human beings? You are a being, and that's not coincidental, whether, whether whoever coined the expression uh, was intentional or not. Because you are in the image or were created in the image and after the likeness of God, it is absolutely appropriate that on the basic level, you be referred to as a being because you were created after the order of I am. And it was I am who caused you to be. I am, which means I am who I was, I was who I will be, I be. It is totally appropriate that the eternal I am would bring into existence, in existence rather, those who would be his sons, male and female, in his image after his likeness as beings. He is eternal and he created us everlasting. He's eternal, which means he had no beginning nor does he have any ending. We are everlasting. We had a beginning, but we have no end. So we are beings created after the order of I am because 
Now, this is not grammatically sound, but hopefully you'll understand the point. Because he am, I be. Because of his eternal existence, I have an existence that began before my biological father and my biological mother came together and had a biological interaction. I am not merely the byproduct of biological encounter. I am the enfleshment ultimately of the thought of God that began in his eternality. And he, the I am, created me a being. Is there any scripture for this? Brother? Well, hopefully you've heard the biblical allusions such as uh, uh, the book of Exodus chapter three and chapter four, where God says to Abraham, I am when Abraham, uh, excuse me, Moses, when Moses asked what's his name. Uh, but, but look at the book of Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. Look at verse 12. Well, back, let me give you two. <laughs> let me give you two. Oh, hurry up, Brother Blue. I'm trying. Chapter 17 of Acts. Acts 17. Those who were with us in North Carolina this weekend, you heard this verse used. Acts chapter 17, verse 20 on the Saturday. Acts 17. The Bible says in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, our existence in him. In I am, his name is I am, I be. Because he am, I be. You, you, you see why I use that expression? Got it? You got it, Cooley? Pastor Davis, you know it's always an honor to, to see you among us. Now, Ephesians chapter one. Now, Pastor Harrington, you might want to dance right through here when you read this one. Ephesians one and 12 says this, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Your very being as a child of God brings glory to God. See, one of the reasons why that's important, and, 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 and we must move, but one of the reasons why that's important, when you understand that your being glorifies God, then never again will you labor to earn God's acceptance. Never again will you labor to try to get God to love you. Labor to get God. No, no. The Bible says that if you read all of Ephesians 1, he chose us, he predestined us, he ordained us that we should be to the praise of his glory. Our existence glorifies God. Whatever you hear somebody say, you were created to praise the Lord, don't you dare. Don't you dare let that person tell you that that means that you were created 
clap hands, stomp feet, clap hands, stomp. What about when you're not clapping hands and stomping feet? No, 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 no. You were created for relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. And because of that relationship, it will uh, call for you to bow down and all of those kinds of things. But 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 your being created for God's praise is bigger than just clapping hands and stomping feet. Your existence is a praise. What is a praise? What is, I will bless the Lord at all times. What what's blessed mean? It means to speak well of him, right? It means to boast in him, right? What God says, it means to compliment God. He says, your existence is a compliment to me. Your existence is designed to make somebody say, that's a mighty God. You, no, you don't, you don't see what I'm saying. You don't understand that your, ex, your being is a compliment to God. Your being glorifies God. That's why the enemy tried to kill you so many times. Because the fact that you are gives God glory. Every time you breathe, come on now. Every time your heart be, oh, I'm sorry, this is FKP, please forgive me. <laughs> oh my, your existence, the dimple in your chin, those bow legs of yours, that radiant smile that you have, that ability to analyze and process, all of that is a compliment to God. All of that makes God look good. See, that's your being. That's one of the reasons why it was appropriate for God at the River Jordan to speak over Jesus before Jesus had preached one sermon that we have a record of, before he had healed any sick, before he had raised any dead, before he had made any lame to walk, any blind to see, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm just pleased with him being who he is. Hannah, did you hear what I said? He said, I'm pleased with him. Now, if you don't get that, then all of you who are parents, you'll get this. If you were loving parents from the start, then the fact that there was a pregnancy brought you pleasure. You don't know whether it's a boy, girl, tall, short, fat, skinny, uh, academic, athletic, musical. You don't, but just the fact that there's a pregnancy brought you joy. She might have been sick. He might have been sick. But there was still joy. And when, the, I'm talking about the parents, and when the child was born, the child hadn't said a thing, but but the doctor spanked him and he cried. The baby hadn't said mama, dad, dad, nothing. But the existence of that baby, ooh, 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 yes, Lord. <laughs> baby hadn't done anything. Just the being of that child brought you pleasure. Just the being of that child. Somebody go, ooh, that's a beautiful child. Brought you pleasure. Brought you compliment. And God says, when I created you and when I recreated you, your very existence is a compliment to me. Your being. All right? He says now, as powerful as that is, 
your being has give give me uh give me just about three minutes and I, I think I can wrap this your being is a compliment to God I'm talking about c o m p l i m e n t your being makes God look good where it matters all right he says now I already done more he says now that's your spirit that's your innermost being. That's your innermost self. He says this now. If you will allow me to discipline you, to process you, I will cause all of my purpose, which is in your being, all of my destiny, which is in your being, all of my calling, which is in your being, all of my gifting that's in your being, all of the great achievements that are in your being. Listen, those things that are yours in eternity, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has put eternity in their hearts. He has put eternity, he's put the world in their hearts, is what it says in the King James. Literally, he's put eternity in their hearts or in their spirits. He says, now, if you will allow me, I will walk you through the process by means of which that which is in your eternal or your the eternity that I put in your spirit, in your being, I will cause what I purpose in eternity, stay with me, to begin to show up in time. I'm going to cause what I purpose in my mind to show up on your calendar. I'm going to allow what I purpose in my mind to show up on your clock. I'm going to uh, uh, cause what I purpose in heaven to begin to be walked out in the earth. In other words, I'm going to cause your being to come. I'm going to cause your eternal being to come. Or in other words, you are going to become. Your spirit is your being dimension, but it is through the soul that your being comes. It is in the soul. What did he say in 2 and 7? And the man became a soul. The soul is the site of your becoming. The soul, the soul, the soul is the environment. The soul is the dimension in which everything that God purposed to you eternally comes. Your being comes. The eternality of God deposited in your spirit becomes temporality in your soul. The soul is the S-I-T-E brotherly of your becoming. When spirit and body joined, the man became a living soul. And as a soul, the soul hosts your becoming. The soul is the S-I-T-E of your becoming. It's the location. It's the laboratory. It's the incubator. That's why we've been talking about the parallel between spirit and soul with husband and wife. The spirit has the seed of your destiny. 
But when the seed of your destiny is planted into your soul, your soul brings forth the fruit of your destiny. Even as the seed of the child is in the husband, but the seed of the uh, child placed into the uterus through the ova, of course, the ova, then the uterus of the woman or the wife becomes the fruit of a child. The seed of the child becomes the fruit of the child. The seed of your destiny becomes the fruit of your destiny as the spirit inseminates the soul. It is your be, God's purpose, coming, manifesting in the earth. It's in the soulless realm. And so that's why the enemy is attacking in a day like ours more than ever before the souls of people. Their memories, their emotions, their will, their imagination is under assault because it is this soul place where you're becoming. If the enemy cannot prevent you from being, he will do everything within his power to hinder you from becoming. I would rejoice. The enemy could not stop Moses from being a prophet because he was born with that destiny. So he worked at stopping the prophet he be from becoming from the threat in his childhood to the murder at age 40 to the trauma at age 80. The enemy couldn't stop him from being but he's gonna to try to block him from becoming. We must go. Your professional journey is a journey of becoming. You have gifts in you, you have visions in you, you have dreams in you, you have potential in you, you know you do. There at the being level, they're at the core of your existence. But the fight, the fight is your be coming. Absolutely, yes, Brother Cambridge. Absolutely right. The New Testament word for soul is psyche. Everything that is psychological, all of that pertains to the soul. Has this been helpful to you? I hope so. I hope so. Brother Hughes, man, God bless you. You are on a journey for the rest of your life of unfolding what God tucked away in your spirit from the very beginning. You're on a journey of becoming. And since you don't even know all that you be, it is a journey of discovery.
It is a journey of discovery. It is a journey of discovery. All right. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Refuse. Refuse to allow whatever you're going through to prevent your bee from coming. Did you hear me? Refuse to allow anything that you are facing to prevent God's eternal purpose, your bee that he deposited in your spirit from coming through your soul, all the way through your body, onto the display case called the earth. All right, we must we must close. Oh, I love these comments that I'm seeing. That you, yes, that's it, Elder Campbell. I refuse to allow anything that I'm facing to cause my bee or to prevent my bee from coming. Absolutely, absolutely. You already, listen, let me say it. You already be what he says you are. You're not lying when you say, I am what the word of God says that I am. You're not lying when you say, I'm blessed with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. You already be that. The fight is for what you already be in Christ to become in this cosmos. Join us next Monday. We'll look for the podcast on Friday. Look for the podcast and please comment. Let us know what you think. Share it with others and then plan to join us uh, next Monday, God willing, 7.15, phone call only, phone conference. At 11.30, straight. let someone else join in with us. If, if, if you're blessed by this, share it with someone. Brother Hughes, I see it. Share it with someone. Uh, so that, listen, there are people who are on the verge of breaking down because there's no sense of direction. There's no sense of instruction. They know they're pregnant with something. They know they have potential for something. And yet it's almost as if it's eating them alive. They don't understand that God has placed in their being so much and that if they will walk with him, walk and work with him, he will cause their being to come. And they'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Until we meet again, my brothers and sisters, Go forth today. This is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Professionals saying to you, go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together we will bring pleasure to Christ's heart and fame to his name. Until we meet again, may the peace of the eternal God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen 
to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.